The Mike Lupica Podcast. We are back now with the great Mike Lupica. He's one of the country's Mike most Lupica prominent Mike Lupica has covered just about every sport. Candid interviews with legends he calls friends. I was talking to Jordan about Woods after the basketball game mm-hmm. the other night. Everybody wants everybody in sports to be the next this guy, the next this guy. And Michael said, no, he's the first Tiger. In your face questions. How much of a dope is he? Compelling. A billion dollar industry, the biggest we've ever had in sports in this country, often comes down to a flip of the coin. This is the Mike Lupica Podcast. Here's Mike Lupica. Hello, and thanks for joining us on the Mike Lupica Podcast. Today, we're joined by a retired NFL quarterback, Dan Orlovsky. He played for the Lions, the Texans, the Colts, the Buccaneers. But he is, to me, one of the rising stars talking about the NFL on ESPN. He is here to put a bow on the NFL season. But before we get started with Dan, I want to tell you about Kronos. No one compliments you when their paycheck is correct. But make one mistake and you risk alienating your entire workforce. With Kronos, we make sure your payroll is done right the first time, from punch to paycheck. Embedded checklists, simplified workflows, a single source of truth. HR, payroll, talent and time, keeping in one unified system. All with a proven implementation approach and simplified transparent pricing. Learn more about Kronos.com slash payroll. Kronos, workforce innovation that actually works. Welcome back to the Mike Lupica podcast. And my guest today is, is a guy that it, who I believe and, and everybody believes is a rising star talking about pro football on ESPN. His name is Dan Orlovsky. We feel a bond because I spent a lot of my life living in Connecticut He's the greatest quarterback in the history of the University of, of Connecticut. Comes out of Shelton and, and knocked around. And I'm going to talk to him later about this because the, 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 the world of backup quarterbacks in the NFL is like this fascinating and complex uh, netherworld. But you see him now a lot on Get Up with my pal Mike Greenberg. And, 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 and I saw him in front of the big board a few weeks ago and I'd seen him a little bit here and there and and immediately uh, hired him for Monday Night Football which I thought Dan I thought was pretty damn generous of me it was fantastic I actually made sure that I took that nomination and got it into the right eyes the unfortunate thing is you're not paying the same way Monday Night Football (laughs) actually is Uh, but hopefully it's uh it's a foreshadowing of the future all right, listen, we start today to put a bow around the Super Bowl game. And Dan, let's start here. Okay, so I didn't see what you said in the run-up to the big game. What did you think was going to happen in Super Bowl 53? I thought the Rams would win. I thought the Rams were, in many ways, built like the Falcons of two years ago and the Eagles of last year where way too many weapons for the Patriots to handle and that Sean McVay would be one of those coaches that was smart enough to find out where was the matchup advantage? Who was the guy that he felt, I'm going to make this, this guy for New England stop my guy 20, 30, 35 times this game. And it just never matriculated. And, you know, I was incredibly surprised uh, in a way of watching the Rams not have answers to what New England was showing them. New England completely changed who they were for that game like they con- constantly do. Uh, but I thought the Rams offensively, as many did, would play significantly better. 
We're talking to Dan Orlovsky on the Mike Lubica podcast. And, and you know, Dan, I was in the room once when, and I've used this line a, a, a thousand times. Maybe you've seen me say it or, or write it. But I was in the room where some British writers, it was before Tyson um, was fighting Terrell Biggs. And some British writers had just talked to Biggs's people and they came in and they said, you know, Mike, it sounds like he's got a pretty good plan for you on Saturday night. And Tyson looked up at him and said, everybody's got a plan till they get hit. OK. Yeah. And and, you know, in, in a lot of Tyson fights, he just walk across the ring in the first round and smack somebody like Michael Spinks in the in the, in the teeth. And, and it wouldn't be the fight that anybody thought it was going to be. How long into this game? On on Sunday night, did you realize that the Rams had been hit and hit early? Probably somewhere in, into that middle of the second quarter. You know, understanding it was the Super Bowl and Jared Goff making obviously his first Super Bowl start and Sean McVay his first Super Bowl experience as a coach, I figured a drive or two or three drives, settle in, what's going on, where can we go? And so I didn't anticipate, a, you know, fireworks early on. But once in the middle of the second quarter where it looked like they were constantly doing the same thing as an offense, struggling to find their way, uh, having no success on first down, um, you could tell, like, huh, physically right now they're getting whooped. Yeah. Physically, they don't have an answer. And that's the thing when, when, when it comes to really any sport. Plans matter. There's no doubt about it. But you have to go physically execute that plan. And it looked like New England just had a significantly better plan, but then physically on both sides were just whooping the Rams. And they had no plan. They had no answer. You know, I'm not gonna I'm, I'm not gonna talk X's and O's with you because you're way better at it than than I am. But what about stuff that I heard you talk about yesterday with with the Patriots bringing six guys up, essentially um, allowing Hightower to he, he was like a, a center fielder in baseball or or or, yep. or or free a free safety playing that close to the line. When did you realize that that was taking stuff away from the Rams that they wanted to do? Because all of a sudden they couldn't run the ball and, and <laughs> Patriots, if you can't run the ball, play action doesn't work. Yeah. Well, the, the great thing about it is the way they structure the defense. When did I realize it? I saw the six guys, at the line of scrimmage relatively early on, but then you see, okay, is, is this going to be something? that they stick to? Is it going to be successful? The thing that sometimes people lose sight of is you don't necessarily, especially with the Rams, you don't necessarily need to be crushing the run game to allow your play action to work. Because as a defensive player, you're taught week in and week out, your number one goal by your coaches, stop the run. We've got to stop the run. So you hear that all week. And so you become enamored with stopping the run. And so in a lot of ways, they get you to chase the run. They chase ghosts in a way. Right. And so you don't even necessarily need to be running the ball well. Now, what happened with the Patriots is taking those six guys and putting them up in the line of scrimmage did really two things. It left everybody in a one-on-one block. All six guys were in one-on-ones. There was no double team. So then you could tell your defensive lineman, hey, just go upfield. You don't have the left and the right side of the center. You could just go beat him upfield, which hurts the run game or the play-action game. And then in regards to Hightower, 
Hightower didn't have to hear his coaches all week say, you got to stop the run. Hightower heard his coaches all week say, you've got to defend against the play action. Right. You're, you're the play action defender. You can be slow to the run. You don't have to go chase the back. And you watch Hightower. There's multiple plays where the Rams are in their play fake or in their run look. Hightower's already turning to go get the pass. He's already turning to go defend the pass because he, he wasn't relied upon to stop the run. And so it was just very good by the, the, the Patriots scheme-wise to go, we're going to get these six guys on the line of scrimmage. They'll protect against the run. The two edge guys can still be dropped back in the pass coverage, and then Hightower can really roam the middle of the field, which is a huge area where the Rams attack in their play-action pass game. We're talking to Dan Orlovsky on the Mike Lubica podcast, and we're putting a bow around Super Bowl 53, and nothing against what Edelman did, nothing against touchdown Tom when he had to complete a bunch of passes on the one touchdown drive of the game. He did it. Nothing against Gronk, okay? I thought the two best players on the field were Gilmore and Hightower, and I would have been happy if either one of them or both of them had been the MVP of this game. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the game was... Here's a a Rams offense that scored 527 points this year. That's the 11th highest scoring offense ever, ever. And for the great majority of the game, it was 3-3. So, yes, the, the Rams defense played fantastic. I, I, and if they had won, this would have been a very similar conversation. But the fact – what New England did defensively, the defense won the football game, and it's not even close. New England's offense made one play, and really it was a stretch of three plays that were good. For the most part, they made one play where the defense dominated. I mean, dominated. The Rams never had a snap inside the red zone. So you find the the unit that dominated. Why did you win the game? We won the game because of our defense. Who was the best or the second best or the top two or three guys on the defense, and let's figure out the MVP between them. If not, give it to the whole defense. If not, give it to Brian Flores, the defensive coordinator. I love Edelman. I love Brady. It should have gone to a defensive guy. Yeah, I mean, Dan, it's Super Bowl forty two when when the Patriots didn't get to nineteen and zero. The MVPs of that game should have been Strahan, Tuck, OC, yep. and and Matthias Kianuka. Yep, absolutely. Because that's why you won the game. It it, it, it wasn't the glamorous that i guess if you want to call it but that's why you won the game you know it's so funny i bob ryan and mitch album and i we, we now do the sports reporters as, as a podcast and we were talking about this yesterday and i i mentioned this to both of them dan think about the book ending of these the the first super bowl and the latest for, for the new england patriots okay in the first one it's against the st louis rams what were they the greatest show on turf okay yeah Brady takes him down the field when he has to at the end. The Patriots end up winning the game. All this time later, Brady takes him down the field twice when he has to. Okay, They've scored the 11th most points in the history of the sport. And Dan, in those two games, both against the Rams, even though they were playing in different cities, these offenses combined the Rams for a total of 20 points. 17 in the first game, three in this game. And Belichick and Brady were what they were then, and they are what they are now. It's fascinating stuff. I mean, the the real 
I mean, Brady is great at so many things, and and, and everybody understands or can grasp the success that he had. But it's really the fact that Tom Brady has prepared himself for those moments more than any player in the NFL ever has. And so when those moments come, he's already experienced them, whether they've been reps on the practice field, reps in the film room, reps at home with his kids running around in the back. He's, he's already experienced that throw to Gronk. He's oh. made a thousand times in his mind. So it's, it's second nature to him. And the fact of what Bill Belichick does is, and I don't, wanna, I don't want to simplify it. I don't want to undervalue it. But the great aspect of Belichick is he's unafraid to change. He's unafraid to be wrong. Because you look at the game against the Rams, and without getting too technical, the Patriots played more man-to-man defense than anybody in the NFL this season. And they did it better than anybody in the NFL this season. They played 90% zone in that game in the Super Bowl. And for a coach to go, this is what we do best, but we're going to change it because it's going to give us the best chance to win, surely it's genius. It's also crazy. It's also courageous. Because if it doesn't work, you're going to get crucified over it. If it doesn't work, if they get gassed for 300 yards, everyone's going to go, what did Bill Belichick do? Why didn't you just play man coverage? You had done it great all year. The, the willingness to be wrong, I think, doesn't get appreciated enough when it comes to Bill Belichick. Yeah, it's not shocking, Dan, that, that he once had Nick Saban on his staff because I still say that, that Saban making the move to Tua in a championship game is something you it's exactly what you're talking about you cannot be afraid to fail now it's easier to do it if you're Nick Saban the way it's easier to do it if if you're Bill Belichick but the fact is that they don't mind pushing all the chips to the center of the table it's why i thought Belichick might go for it on fourth down rather than have Gaskowski to kick the kick that actually closed out the rams they're so reliant on their convictions. They believe so much in what they're convicted in and their process and the experience that they have that they go, no, this is the way that I feel, that I see, that I believe gives us, me, our team, the best chance to win, and that's what we're doing. And it's fascinating You've been around sports a long time. I've, I've only been around football, but a bunch of different coaches. It's fascinating to see how many coaches aren't able to get to that headspace. And in a way, Belichick kind of just owns them. Saban just owns them when it comes to that. You know, we're talking to Dan Orlovsky on the on the Mike Lupica podcast, and he is he's this guy's going to be a huge star at, at ESPN or, or or somewhere as his TV career goes forward. And I, Dan, I saw probably forty Super Bowls in my life. Okay, and and I think the greatest throw I ever saw was Eli to Manningham that time in mm-hmm. Indianapolis. Sure. Um, ben Roethlisberger to Santonio. If, if if you go in the wayback machine, there was a lot of moments in the Steelers Super Bowls where where everything else is breaking down, and Bradshaw would say to Swan or Stallworth, "You go long, I'll get it to you." Okay, yeah. but talk again about because I believe that throw to Gronk. 
And and again, it's it might not be the 50th best throw that Brady's ever made to Gronk, except it was a perfect pass in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl. And that is why the touch, everything about that pass made it one of the greatest Super Bowl completions I've ever seen. And and don't forget, it's it's it, what seems likely the last catch of Rob Gronkowski's career, who's a surefire Hall of Famer and and going to be in the conversation for greatest tight end ever. And it's just the Patriots and Brady kind of through that series of plays are just waiting. And they're waiting as a defense, waiting as an offense for the defense to give them what they want. Give me what I want. Give me what, okay, you've given me what I want. Here it comes. And I say this all the time about quarterbacks. Everybody always talks about quarterbacks with a very, he can make every throw. He can make every throw. This guy's going to be good, so he can make, he can make all, any throw you need. What does that even mean? <laughs> I know a lot of guys who can make every throw. I've I played a, 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 with linebackers who can throw a comeback as good as anybody. Quarterbacks that are great make appropriate throws. And when we're talking about Gronk running down the scene, it's good coverage. It's really good coverage by Corey Littleton. And the safety's coming over. There's only one kind of throw you can make. There's only one appropriate throw. It is a somewhat firm, somewhat lofted ball that has to be placed in a one-yard by one-yard box, get there at the right time, in the right tempo, in the right location with the correct trajectory. Those things don't happen just because. Those throws with that exact kind of uh, coordinates – they don't happen by accident. And it may be Tom Brady's 50th greatest, greatest throw like you're talking about, Mike, but at the same time, we don't, we, we don't take it for granted because I've seen a lot of guys make that throw and it's too firm or there's too much air or it's placed wrong or forces the guy to turn his body. It's, uh, in, in many ways, perfect because of all those variables. Yeah, and Dan, and he, what you just said, the, the the amount of air, there was a lot of air under that ball. And, and you when you looked at the replay, you're right. There were a bunch of rams around that. So in addition to everything else, <laughs> that's as brave a throw as Belichick is a coach. And, and that's why Brady's done it hundreds, if not thousands of times. Because in the moment, that is not... A, a brave throw, or that's not is not a risky throw with six minutes to go in the game of a Super Bowl, and it's a tie game to Tom Brady. That's 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 Wednesday afternoon in, in Foxborough. That's what it is. That's that's a that's a throw in April on the beach in California. He's just he's prepared and prepared and prepared for that moment and for that kind of throw that we we hear so often in in sports muscle memory or you know. Rely on your training. Trust in your training. That throw is just a throw to Tom Brady. Now, the magnitude of, of it is huge, but that throw is just another throw to Tom Brady because he's so used to it. We're talking to Dan Orlovsky on the Mike Lubica podcast. Okay, and uh, I'll preface this by saying I really like Jared Goff, and I think Jared Goff's going to be a big star, 
and and let's talk about two throws that probably did as much to determine the outcome of this game as as Brady's throw to Gronk did and the, the completions to Edelman. Both were to Brandon Cooks. And Mitch and I were talking about this yesterday. He thought that Cooks could have caught the ball underneath the goalpost. I, I, I disagree. I think Jason McCourty just made a great play. But the one on the right side, down the field, in the end zone, if... Dan, was the throw just not quite good enough, or does Cooks have to make that catch? Cooks, one thousand percent. Are you talking about the drop in the end zone? No, no. The first one that we went round and round on two throws to Cooks. The one that the ball just hung long enough for McCourty to come from like right field yep. to get to center field to make this play. That's one. I didn't think that he should have caught that ball. I think I thought that yeah. was all McCourty. I, I, How the I hell agree. he got I, there? It's a great play by Court McCourty. How did he get there? Okay, that's one thing. But the one down the right side, okay, right yeah. the play right before the interception, did you think it Cooks – It's got to be caught, right? A hundred out of a hundred times. I mean, that is a – now, cr- credit Gilmore. He gets a little bit of tug on the arm, but that that's how those guys are going to play. And the safety comes over and creates contact, no doubt about it. But that ball, a hundred times out of a hundred times – needs to get caught by Brandon Cooks, who's a, a great receiver, a phenomenal kid, five-year, $80 million deal. You're, you you want to encapsulate why you sign a guy to go make that catch in that moment and, and to go secure that catch. And then maybe we have a completely different narrative of, of Jared Goff and Brandon Cooks and Sean McVay and this Rams team, but ball needs to get caught. It's a perfectly placed ball. It's just as good of a throw that Tom Brady makes to Gronk, it's just as good of a throw. It's a perfect throw. Cooks needs to make that catch. Dan Orlovsky is our guest on the Mike Lubiga podcast. We'll have much more with Dan after I tell you about 1-800-Flowers. By now, most of us have started racking our brains about what Valentine's gift is truly going to make her day special. With 1-800-Flowers.com, it's really not that complicated. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are a no-brainer. Right now, when you order early, 1-800-Flowers has amazing deals on vibrant and romantic Valentine's rose bouquets, arrangements, and more, starting at just $29.99. There's so many unbelievable deals from 1-800-Flowers, but you got to hurry. Roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and her amazement. Gorgeous Valentine's bouquets and arrangements starting at $29.99 is an amazing deal but it's not going to last long. Bouquet prices will be going up soon, so take advantage today. Pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest. To order Valentine's bouquets, arrangements, and more starting at $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code LUPICA. Order today and save at 1-800-Flowers.com, code LUPICA. And Dan, you know, one of the things Bob Ryan, obviously he lives in Boston and he follows the Patriots far uh, more closely than I do. Okay. He did say that one of the things that you did hear about Brandon Cooks when he was in with the Patriots, they talked about all the things he could do. And I don't know if you've heard this or not, but one of the things that they thought he didn't do well enough was fight for the ball. Well, I haven't heard that. There's probably some data on tape that would counter that, you know. Uh, the reality is he's a smaller framed guy, and so his ability to fight for the ball, uh, both, you know, he's vertically and he's not this put-together stocky guy. I'm not saying he's a he, he's frail by any means, but his 
just physical ability to go make some of those catches is is going to be challenged. But, uh, you know, I don't necessarily view that drop as an, an inability to go fight for the ball. I just look at it as it's a bang-bang play. It's one of those 50-50 or opportunity-type balls. And the Patriots' two players made the play, and the Rams' player in Cooks didn't. Do I think that if Jared Goff made the same kind of throw and it was a very similar play, the very next play, Cooks makes the catch? I do. I do think he makes the catch then. Uh, it just it didn't end that moment. Talking to Dan Orlovsky on the Mike Lupica podcast, I, I want to go back uh, to Brady for, for a second because the, the one thing that always makes me crazy, and it's like if you don't are, aren't a wide receiver that you know plays like Calvin Johnson or Alshon Jeffries or one of the big guys, the, the big, beautiful um, wide receivers, that you're not, quote, great. And, and, when, and everybody says, oh, well, Brady's never had, you know, other than Randy Moss towards the end of his career, never had a great wide receiver. Dan, Julian Edelman yeah, okay. is great. Welker was great yeah. when he was there. And I know it's playing with Tom, but those guys are two of the greatest possession receivers in the history of the sport. And, and don't forget a, a guy that we talked about in Gronk, who, who's going to go down as one of the best ever. The thing that people lose sight of, and this is, again, another thing that separates the, the Patriots, and in a way they've started a trend in the NFL is, and I've said this for about two or three years now, is the Patriots don't really have wide receivers or running backs. They really don't. They just have a bunch of football players. Like, Kevin Falk was as good of a pass-catching weapon as there was in many circles for years when it came to the Patriots. You mean to tell me that a James White can't go play receiver in some places or Edelman can't play back? Welker couldn't play running back for the pay. They just find these football players and they utilize them in all different spaces and roles. And that's really what they, they have such a strength about, about their team. So Welker was going to go ball at plenty places. Edelman would ball at plenty of places, certainly aided by playing with the greatest ever, no doubt. But Brady has had his complement of very, very, very good football players that they've utilized. Also, Great coaches. Josh McDaniels, for close to an eight-year stretch now, has been as good of a play caller as we've seen in the NFL. He was Sean McVay before Sean McVay was. Do you think uh, – this is a quick digression because I want to get back to, to McDaniels' play calling. How long do you think he will be handicapped by what happened with the Colts or – do you think that it becomes more clear over time that he is the head coach in waiting with the Patriots? I don't know if he's the head coach in waiting. I really don't, and I, mainly because I don't see Bill stopping anytime soon. I, I don't. What's Belichick going to do? He, I, I don't see him leaving anytime soon. They looked like they were having too much fun. I also believe that they're, Bill's great, and guys who are great love challenges, and they love new challenges. At some point in time, Tom's going to stop playing, and I think Bill's going to really relish the challenge of trying to do it without Tom. Uh, I don't know if McDaniels would be handicapped at all, to be honest with you. I think that owners are so understanding of how special some coaches are, and McDaniels seems to be very special as a play caller. And I, I just believe that McDaniels thoroughly loves being a part of the New England culture. 
And I don't know if he's got this burning desire to leave. Talking to Dan Orlowski, okay, and, and you're, you're 100% right about Belichick. I have known Bill Belichick for 30 years. I really like him, okay, and, and have had some of the most entertaining one-on-one conversations with him about this sport, with anybody I've ever met covering sports. He's five years younger than Mike Krzyzewski, Dan. He's, yeah. he's five years younger than Coach K, and Coach K shows no signs of going anywhere. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't see him slowing. I mean, their owners on stage dancing at the Super Bowl, they're still winning. They seem to have a ton of, I don't even think Bill Belichick is thinking about 2020. I mean, this is the same coach that literally goes, we're on the next week, we're on the next week. He's got a, such a finite viewpoint on time. There's no big picture. He's in the moment. And you know what? They probably, you know, in an odd way, you know who they think their quarterback of the future is? Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, we have no proof that it won't be. We have, we have no proof. I fully, 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 fully believe Tom Brady will play at a high level till at least 45 years old. I have no doubt about it. I have no proof of anything saying anything other than that. And and here's the thing, and and I, w- I was saying I was talking about the game with my sons um, after it was over. Okay, was this one of Tom Brady's best Super Bowls? It was not. But other than maybe the one he lost to the Giants, okay. If this is an off Super Bowl, here's what he walks away with, okay? 21 for 35, 262 yards. He completes every pass when he has to, when they have to score a touchdown, and and. And in those moments, if you didn't know what year it was, you would not have known what year it was with Tom Brady. Sure. And the fact with, and certainly credit goes to New England's offensive line, but also the understanding at the quarterback spot of, and Brady does this better than anybody ever. I'm not going to make, I'm going to make sure that Aaron Donald, surefire Hall of Famer, and Indomitung Sue, a guy who's going to, be in the conversation for some people. I'm not going to let those guys win the game. They're not going to beat me. And so some of those balls are just getting out of Brady's hands. I'm getting the ball out. I, there's too much color near me. Ball's getting out. I don't care. Oh, bad matchup, ball's out. And so the consciousness, the awareness to go, I'm going to make sure that those guys don't get me into second and 14, don't get me into third and 12s. Well, I'm just going to waste this throw type stuff. Or, or maybe that's not the matchup I wanted, but I'm just going to throw the ball here just to make sure that those guys don't get going. He's done it better than anybody, and that's part of it as well. Getting back to McDaniel for one second, because you, you, when you talk about Tom, you have to talk about McDaniel too. If you look at the two drives, okay, they scored 10 points in the fourth quarter. They get a touchdown when they have to get a touchdown. Then they get the pick, and they drive down the field. This, to me, again, a quarterback and a play caller being in perfect sync. On the first drive, they throw the ball just about every down until he runs it in for the touchdown. On the next drive, the the Rams, then the Rams look beaten, and they they ripped off all those. They they threw the ball on one drive, then they exclusively ran the ball on the other, and they were great doing both. Well, that the touchdown drive is is a fascinating uh, kind of bird's eye view to me because they they start the drive and basically are run personnel two backs two tight ends and they utilize a little play action fake and they have that dump to gronk to start the drive then they stay in that personnel grouping so that leaves 
three, basically three linebackers on the field for the Rams. And instead of getting into a run formation, hey, here comes – they spread you out. They've got five – basically what looks to be five wide receivers, two of those being tight ends and two of those being running backs. And so it puts the defense in a bind now. The fascinating thing is the next three plays are spread out, five wide receivers. The biggest thing for that is that stresses your offensive line. It stresses their protection. There's only five guys in there, and they're going against, like I mentioned, Donald and Sue. But the, the, the Patriots had gotten into that five-man empty protection two games, two times before it, two times, all games. They'd only gotten into it twice. Now, late in the third, late in the fourth quarter, they decide to get back into it because they had run so many plays and had been controlled so much of time of possession. The Rams' defense has got to be a little bit more tired. That D line can't rush as hard as they could first quarter, second quarter. So it's fascinating just the timing of it that they decide to do it then, understanding the big picture of it. And then the, the second drive that you mentioned that kind of seals the game, it's really just going, all right, our greatest strength is our offensive line. That's who we've been all year. We're going to ride you guys. And you can see that offensive line in many ways seal the game, take the game over, and you see that physicality wear the Rams defensive line out. We're talking with the talented, and I do mean talented, Dan Orlovsky on the Mike Lupica podcast. More with Dan in a minute, but first this from Geico. There's a quick way you could save money to switch to Geico. All it takes is 15 minutes to find out if you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And Geico offers coverage for more than just car insurance. Got a motorcycle? Geico's got you covered. Got an RV? Covered. Got a boat? Covered. How about a homeowner's or renter's insurance? You bet Geico's got you covered. Go to Geico.com today and see how much you could save. That's Geico.com. You know, it's funny. When you think of the greatest defensive performances, and and, and I'm not going to go into the Wayback Machine into the 60s and 70s, even though you have to go back to, like, I think Super Bowl six for a team to not have scored um uh, a touchdown in the Super Bowl. I think they've only been. I think there have now been three games, Dan, where an offensive touchdown was not scored in a Super Bowl. It happened to the Dolphins once. The Vikings, I think, uh, got a touchdown, but it was a block punt in, in this game. Okay, but you look at the highest powered offenses that Belichick has faced in the Super Bowl. One was he was a defensive coordinator with Parcells against the Buffalo Bills, who had just won the AFC championship game against the Raiders, 51-3. to The greatest show on turf in the first time the Patriots won, and, and this one on Sunday night. But this one on Sunday night, if you factor in everything, do you not think it was the greatest defensive performance in the history of the big game? I do, and, and I'm, I'm not old enough to have seen everyone. Uh, I am a football fan, and I am and, 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 and very aware of them. When you look at uh, in the totality of the, the era that it's done in, where offensive reigns and creativity reigns and space reigns, the rules are much, much more in favor for offenses to have success. I mentioned this is a historically great offense in a bunch of different categories. When you look at the fact that the reality of the Patriots' defense—it's it, not a defense that is littered with, you know, Pro Bowlers. It's not a defense that is littered with early draft picks. Uh, the, he, he's done it with some guys are castoffs. 
McCordy, one of the McCordy brothers, Jason's a cast-off. Kyle Van Noy is a cast-off. John Simon is a cast-off. And when you get cast off by the Lions, as you know, Dan, that's really being cast off. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Kyle Van Noy, who you can make the cases just as important as Hightower in that Super Bowl, especially in this playoff run, cast offs, guys that, you know, you're not good enough. And uh, you go and win the Super Bowl and dominate the Super Bowl. I mean, the Rams did not have a play in the red zone. That is almost impossible to do when your defense is playing as good as their defense played when the Rams defense played as good as it did for them to have to have a snap in the red zone is mind-boggling I've already made my first prediction for the 2019 season would you like to hear it here it is okay about eight games in the Patriots will get their doors blown off by somebody they will be completely written off Brady will throw three picks in that game, and they'll say he's too old. It looks like they're not going to have home field in the playoffs, but just at the very end, they will get home field for the playoffs, and they will be back in Miami <laughs> for Super Bowl 54. You know, uh, we've, we've had Tom Brady's dad on uh, get up a couple times this past two weeks or so, and Mike Greenberg, Green, as you know, kind of made a joke, but in a way – we were still interested interested in Mr. Brady's answer of like, when do you start booking your trips? Like, when do you, honestly, when do you plan out your travel or block out the time? Because it's become so secondhand for Brady and the Patriots to get there. It's in, in a way, like most NFL players can plan vacations or family time or their life not anticipating getting to the Super Bowl and then adjust if it happens. Brady and and Patriots and the Brady family, like they literally have to make sure that they not only carve out time understanding or believing and anticipating that they'll be a part of the Super Bowl, but also post-Super Bowl stuff. They've got to leave the Monday free and the Tuesday free because (laughs) – more than likely they're going to be part of a Disney World parade and part of a city parade. So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. And here's the thing, too, Mike. Look at the roster. They don't lose much. They're, they're not losing much. They don't, there's one free agency, free agent guy, I believe Shaq Mason, the guard. He's really the only guy that you go, man, we got to resign him. They also are getting their first-round pick from last year who never played for them because of injury this year. He's back. You know, think about something. Now, Dan's 35, so he was in high school when the Patriots win their first Super Bowl. Think about this, okay? At that point, the Red Sox still haven't won a World Series <laughs> since 1918, and the Patriots have never won a Super Bowl. There have been 10 titles this year. I said to Ryan the other day, Dan, I said, Bob, you were so brave because it really took nearly 100 days for, the, for a Boston team to win another championship since the Red Sox won the World Series. Someone sent out, sent out a tweet yesterday. I believe it was a New England person, uh, probably a Boston person, who said, my four-month-old has seen more championships <laughs> than a 45-year-old living in New York or something like that. Yeah, a, a Knicks, a, a Knicks so, Jets, who, Mets yeah, fan. Yeah, 45-year-old Knicks fan. And it was, it, it, it kind of puts it in perspective that, I mean, Boston as a sports Town has had an incredible, incredible run uh, overall, but you know, certainly 2018 has been 2018, 2019 has been good to them. 
Okay, before we put a bow, an official bow on the game, because I want to ask you a couple of other questions about your own career. Sony Michelle, we haven't even talked about him. Dan, he's great. And doesn't he speak to what the Patriots have done drafting where they draft every single year? They find the guys that fit what they want to do. I mean, and that sounds easy. That sounds a very easy thing to do. Like, I want to get a guy who's hardworking and he's got talent and he's got character, puts the team first. Like Those those guys uh, are, are – it sounds easy to find them. It's really difficult. It's really difficult to find a guy. It's almost like a five-tool star in baseball, you know, where you find a guy that's very physically talented, mentally intelligent, physically tough, mentally tough, truly is selfless with how he plays the game and, and puts the team first can handle everything, understand their role, those, those are hard to find in 22-year-olds. Sometimes you can find it in a 28, 29-year-old, but the maturity both physically and mentally and emotionally is hard to find. And then, oh, he's a really good football player. Oh, he checks off everything that we like to do. Uh, you know, because when you looked at the Patriots, Sony Michelle is their Corey Dillon of years past. That's who right. Sony Michelle is. And the fact that they found him and he, you, he, you hit on him, uh, totally, totally changed uh, the, the face uh, of how they wanted to play offensive football this year. You know, Dan, you, you were a really good college football player. You, you, you quarterbacked UConn to a, a, a bowl game. Okay. You were picked around the same time in the draft that Tom Brady was once picked. And, and so then you are into that world of going from job to job, um, as, as a backup quarterback in the National Football League. And I, you know, without going all the way back down memory lane, it, what, what keeps you going in, in that role? What what dream are you still chasing when when you go from you know from from the Lions to the Texans to the Rams you know what what what's the motivation at that time for a guy who had been a, a college football star? Yeah, uh, you know, three things kind of come to mind when that question gets asked. First of all, the point of you know when you come in basically to the fork in the road where. I had dreams and I had goals and aspirations of becoming a starter. And uh, it comes to that point in the that fork in the road where you're forced to make that decision or that decision is presented to you. And sometimes it happens in different ways. Uh, the opportunity never matriculated or, or materialized. I mean, uh, the NFL told me I was a backup. You know, I had the chance to play some games in a starting role and I played well. And in my mind, I was going to get a starter opportunity. And the NFL said, you're not getting a starting opportunity. You're a backup. And so when that fork in the road comes, when that choice comes, so many guys will not choose, okay, I'm a backup. So many guys go, no, 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 I'm a starter. And uh, it's a fine line. It's a fine line because you've got to have self-belief, obviously. But when I was in my sixth year, and the NFL, after that time of starting, told me, you're a backup. I was forced to go, okay, I have to switch to backup mode, which means everything I do is for everybody else. I don't watch film for me. I watch film for the starter. I don't watch film for me. I watch film for our third-string receiver. I don't practice for me. I practice for the defense. 
So you have to make that decision. So many guys struggle making that decision or, or, or choosing that thing. And then the two other things would be this. You've got, and I'll be honest with you, part of it is financial. Uh, it, it, it is an incredibly lucrative job to do. And then the, the, the last thing would be I had to brainwash myself. I had to brainwash myself into believing that what I was doing brought impact, brought value into our organization, and brainwashing myself into going every day what I did matters. Because there was going to come the time where, okay, you got to go play. You got, oh, I'm not ready, coach. Well, you're done. You know, I had to brainwash myself because here's the thing backup quarterback, the 52 other guys on the team, the 52 other guys have a pretty strong understanding that they're probably going to play that game. That what they do on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday probably will show itself in the game on Sunday. The backup quarterback has to understand he's probably not going to play. And everything he does on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is probably not going to show up on Sunday because the opportunity is not going to present itself. But you have to brainwash yourself into thinking you will. You have to bring and convince yourself what you're doing matters. And I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Last question for you. How did you go from your retirement as a player to a seat on Get Up? Just tell me the progression that has now put you on what I think, just as a viewer, a fast track at that network. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, here's what happened. I got done in September of 2017 from the Rams, got cut, and I had been thinking about retirement. Okay, I don't want to play anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done playing football. And I'm not the type who could just sit home and do nothing. And I'd always thought about wanting to get into television and calling games and, and being a part of a, an analyst world. And so understanding that people were, networks weren't going to come knocking on my door early October, uh, football season was already going. And so understanding, like, what am I going to do to show I want to do this and I'm good at it, that I know what I'm talking about. And so – um, it's a Sunday night game, and it is the Dolphins versus the Panthers. And it's late in the game, and the Dolphins are bringing a blitz. Everybody's going to blitz. It's an all-out. Everybody's playing man. If you're not playing man, you're blitzing. And Cam Newton's at the line of scrimmage, and he sees it. He makes a check at the line of scrimmage to a wide receiver screen. It's a touchdown. And I'm like, dude, that was so cool. I love the fact that Cam saw it. He made it a numbers game. He communicated it. Touchdown. And I'm listening to the broadcast and no one's talking about it. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, man, people need to know how cool that was. Like, why it happened and how it happened. And so my wife goes, just make a video on your phone and put it on the internet. And this was a time where I thought social media was stupid. I had a thousand <laughs> followers on Twitter. And yeah. I was like, that's a stupid idea, babe. So I sit for about three minutes and I'm like, all right, I'll try it. So I mute the television. I grab my cell phone. I put it up to the television. And I videotaped the play and using the remote, you know, start and pause it. And I kind of break it down using my finger up on the television to point stuff out to people. I make a video. I post it on the Internet. I wake up and it goes viral. And right in that moment, I said, that's my niche. That's my end. And so I just started breaking stuff down on Twitter of quarterback play or offensive plays and really the whys and the hows of stuff. And over the next couple months, 
opened people's eyes. People really seemed to like it. And then uh, got into the springtime and was doing it. And a couple of networks called, really NFL network called and said, will you come on our show, Good Morning Football, and do this stuff? And, of course, absolutely. So I did that for some time and, you know, kind of just in a grind mode. And that opened a bunch of doors of all the networks calling and, and auditions and um, asking me to do that stuff and, and kind of that was the, the genesis of it all. And that led to me, you know, kind of fielding offers from a, all the, I guess, the major networks of getting into the role and and um, me being an East Coaster and, and wanting to call live games. ESPN, ESPN presented me with a really cool opportunity. And once they, you know, sweetened, I guess, if you want to call it my package with, hey, you're going to come do, you'll be a part of the Get Up show, uh, I said, in. And uh, that's really kind of led to Get Up and, and um, you know, me being on there and talking ball and breaking ball down. So, well, you ought you ought to be in a prominent booth somewhere. And again, Dan and I have never met. The only the no, only history no. we share is we're both from Connecticut, and I, I this I, I I just became a fanboy watching him. And and all, all I hope is that we could you know every every couple of months or so I want to have you on, and we'll we'll talk about all kinds of things. But I I wish you all the best. You're just you know it just yeah. I always used to tell people about columnists is. I I would travel around the country. If you were in a, a city and you picked up the paper, it might not be that columnist's best day. But if he had talent or she had talent, you'd know it. it, it I felt that way the first time I watched you on TV. And I, I, I felt the same way a million years ago the first time I ever saw uh, Collinsworth. So I, I wish you all the best. This has been big fun today. And uh, I'm glad you made that video that night. Well, incredibly, incredibly humbling words. I, I grew up watching you, so uh, I'm as, as big a fan, and I would love to continue to be a part. And, and again, uh, thank you for your very kind words. I hope you were, in a way, a fortune teller. So uh, um, I'm thankful for the video, thankful for our time. Dan Olaski on the Mike Lubinga Podcast. Again, this is um, the first uh, week that we are going to twice a week, and it, it has to do with, with the people who listen, the people who care about us, And it, but it's kind of it's because of conversations like this. We just have a great guest, and the great guests are people that I want to talk to. Dan was one of them. Continue to download, continue to, to subscribe, and, and we'll be back on Thursday, everybody. The Mike Lupica Podcast is produced and distributed by Compass Media Networks in conjunction with Hiltzik Creative. For iPhone users, go to the podcast app and search the Mike Lupica Podcast. Click on the Mike Lupica Podcast icon and subscribe. For non-iPhone users, you can listen on Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast platform. 